Welcome to the Francisca Show podcast, a part of JewishCoffeehouse.com. The show on where I give a voice to Jewish issues, topics, and people. I'm Francisca, your host. Before we begin today, France Dens, I'd like to invite you to go check out the incredible podcasts that are on the Jewish Coffee House Network. It's an honor to be one of them. And if you like this show, you probably will like some of the other podcasts too. If you are thinking of launching a podcast, please do reach out because this is exactly what I do. And of course, thank you for listening to the show, recommending it to your friends and family, as well as referring clients to my podcasting services. I appreciate it so much. Someone asked me if last week's episode was intentionally released after Yeshiva Week, implying that after a week with the kids, it may be a good time to check in and see what you can do to improve on your relationships with your children. The answer is no. However, the episode from last week definitely hit a nerve because I heard from so many of you and I'm so thankful that I got to interact and meet you. You know who I'm talking about. Thank you for reaching out and I really love learning about you and your thoughts and opinions. So keep them coming. I love hearing from you. I hope you stick around until the end because I will offer you the opportunity to take a poll to see what you would like to have next week on the show. So here we go. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the show, Leora. I want to thank you so much for coming on to the show to talk about your incredibly unique life story and some of the difficult experiences that you have lived so you can help other people through their difficult times. Thank you so much for having me here, Francisca. Appreciate it. I'd like to offer the microphone and let you begin. Where does the story begin? Does it start with dating, Shava Brajos? We'd like to know what it's like being a single mom. So I think it's important to start from childhood because understanding one's childhood is really a window into triggers, traumas, narratives, that people bring with them into their marriages. And you know that expression that they say, like it takes two to tango, right? It really does because yes, a lot of times there are people that are in extreme abusive relationships and whether or not there are red flags in the beginning, there usually are some telltale signs. And most often the people that end up in these relationships, they don't realize it. I think that it's helpful to understand these dynamics from other people who have experienced it to, you know, to learn from ourselves, to understand our own triggers and to hopefully possibly get the help that we need to avoid this kind of dysfunction or to avoid a narcissistic abusive person, et cetera. So my story starts when I was very young, I grew up in a mixed household, children from a different marriage abusive parents, neglectful parents. As I, you know, even now when I talk about it, there is no anger, there's no resentment. It's also part of the therapy is realizing that our parents also had their own childhoods, their own traumas, their own triggers that they brought into their marriage and their parenting. And there's epigenetics and family dynamics that going back generations. So part of our 
amazing ability nowadays is that there's so much available to us that we can stop these cycles and prevent them from continuing on to our children, which is ultimately the goal that everybody has is that most often people get married, they want to have that beautiful marriage and be a wonderful parent. So I grew up in an abusive household, physically, emotionally, mentally, a lot of details involved with that. I was exposed to some things at a young age that definitely impacted my view on sexuality. When I was ready to date, I had this low self-esteem and I did not know that I had so much to offer. I didn't know my worth. I really didn't. And I think that that played very much into who I married. I remember when I was engaged, there were some red flags that I saw. Well, to share. For just certain behavior things, one day he would be really nice. And the next day he would be really upset and take it out on me. And there were just certain ways, even just the way he spoke about other people, which was definitely a window into the way that he would eventually speak about me or speak to me. One of his uh, family members, just his complete lack of awareness of their issues. When I had seen that, I was like, wow, that's a big red flag. And him not being cognizant of that there being issues there. So that was a big red flag to me. And I just, there were certain things that I saw. And I remember crying to a a best friend of mine. She said, Leora, if you were my daughter, I would not let you marry him. And I was remember just feeling and thinking so deeply like, gosh, I wish you were my mother, (laughs) like, you know, because there was nobody to turn to. There was no one to talk to. And I didn't really have the best support system. I did walk out on my own Shabbos Kala and I cried. I did not want to marry him. And I knew something was off, but I was a very, very from Adel girl. And I thought, you know, to myself, like, well, technically you can make it work with anyone if you're from and you keep, you know, I'll be that Asha's Chayel, that Akara Sabayas, like I'll be that person and it will work. And that's part of my nature is to be self-sacrificing, which is not a healthy dynamic in a healthy relationship. It's only healthy in a healthy relationship when both people are self-sacrificing both people, but for the greater good. So I ended up getting married and masking the worries and concerns with a certain gaiety, with a certain level of being from being wanting to be that Asia's Chayel and a curse bias, like, Oh, it's all on me. And thinking that I could, quote unquote, control his behaviors, control or be that one to influence him positively. And I could, from the get-go, my dreams were shattered. I got pregnant pretty much right away. And I was that person that was going to make it work no matter what, to my own detriment. Now, was I innocent? Did I play a part into everything? Of course, I had my personal traumas that I brought into the marriage, my triggers, certain things that he would do that would trigger me. But there were times that I was very self-aware and I would say what the issues were, what I, why I was reacting the way I was reacting. And in a healthy dynamic, a person will be like, well, that helps me understand you. Thank you. Right. But he would respond like, well, I'm not your therapist. I don't come 
crying to me about that. You know, there were a lot of issues from the beginning. I remember in the Shanari Shana crying a lot, wondering what was really going on. There were some things that I realized later on, two and a half years into the marriage that started making sense. When I would encourage him to be more from, I would encourage him to go to Minion. He would resent me for that. I definitely tried to be his Rebitson, which was not good. It's not something that somebody should do. But in a healthy dynamic, when you marry the right person, you wouldn't have to be their Rebitson. Like you would respect them for who they are. And I, I didn't. I didn't before we got married. Like there were things that I saw and I wanted this really from guy and I didn't get a really from guy. And I was convinced that he was that from guy, convinced myself. So part of that was my projecting onto him the dreams and hopes that I wanted without really accepting him for who he really was, which was not for me, not part of the values and goals that I had. In life. So that definitely played a part into it. And then there was an addiction involved. So there was that. So I'm trying to take responsibility for what I did wrong. But then again, there were issues with personality. It's hard to say because, you know, when you learn so much about things, you understand people so differently. So in the beginning, when I was so hurt by certain things that he would do, I realized later on, it's not like he was trying to hurt me. Most most often people are not trying to hurt you. I mean, it, it eventually did turn into him trying to hurt me verbally. There was instances of verbal abuse. There were instances of him punching holes in the walls, getting angry at the kids, which was a source of serious discomfort and trauma for me because of the abuse that I went through. There was a lot there. And definitely I tried to, I spoke to Rabbanim. We went to 12-step programs. And of course, the one who goes to the 12-step program, and I'm there for everybody, inspiring everyone, pretending like I'm like this. You know, I got it all together and I'm good. And it's one of the reasons why me giving advice is such a conflict for me when people ask, you know, for what they should do, you know. I'll, I'll always just try to help them be aware of themselves. And I think self-awareness is a huge, huge aspect to a healthy dynamic in any relationship. Everyone plays a part. There is no perfect person. We all have what to work on. Just, I think that being an Orthodox person, also basing a relationship off of Judaism and knowing that God plays a huge part into it and letting go of control of another person and circumstances plays a big part in that. I also think that communication, the way we communicate towards each other, trying to communicate feelings instead of blame, communicating in a respectful tone of voice and a respectful way. One thing that I've worked on is trying not to come across preachy or like the rabbit in. <laughs> I think being very knowledgeable in Judaism and Torah and stuff like that, it plays with my mind because I know better. But I think that understanding humanity and the way that people work, understanding that everyone went through something, everyone is going through something. And most often, really, we just need a lot of compassion. When you have compassion on yourself, you can have compassion on another person doesn't mean we make excuses for ourselves. It just means like, okay, once you already mess up, you have compassion because the Yitzhahara will try to get you down. And once you feel guilty and once there's shame involved, 
it's downward from there. So I definitely brought my narratives into the marriage. I definitely brought my triggers, my childhood traumas, even though I was like the first person to get therapy in my family, even though I was always working on forgiveness for my parents and understanding that they might be handicapped and they're just doing the best that they can. There's a lot involved here that a lot of people don't realize is at play. Like you can continue to look at yourself like a victim or you can continue to like take a step back, disassociate the emotions a little bit. That does help. And realize that here's a person in front of you that has their narrative, has their triggers, has their feelings and thoughts that they went through, even a narcissist, believe it or not. Does that mean that you should forgo your own boundaries? You should forgo your own feelings? A hundred percent not. Does that mean you should stay in a toxic, unhealthy situation? Absolutely not. And I am, listen, I'm coming from a place of divorce and I wanted the divorce. And this was after years though, years of like 12-step programs and Rabbanin and therapists to the extent that I was so depressed. I even went to psychiatrist. And I even once hurt myself. That's how much emotional mental pain I was in to the extent that I hurt myself. And I went to this nice psychiatrist and he says, little lady, tell me what's going on. So, you know, I told this nice, nice guy, I'm like, here's, this is a situation. I think I'm depressed. I think I have mental health problems. And he says, lady, I ain't putting you on no medication. You know what you need to do. And there were so many there were so many different aspects. I mean, I had Rabbanim tell me to my face, I see no hope. Like there's just, there's, it's just not workable. For a healthy marriage, you need two people to fully be in it. No one blaming, no one escaping their own issues. Everyone has what to work on, some more than others. Some it's more painful for others to face their own fears and their own traumas. Some are just all about it. And I would just say like one of the big things was trying to maintain dignity throughout all of this. I can't say that I've been perfect, but I think that like in any marriage, in any relationship, it does take looking at oneself. The Baal Tov like says, you know, when you see something negative in somebody else, it could be one of two things or three things. I can't, don't quote me on this, but one is that the reason you're noticing it is because you yourself have that inside of yourself. Like if you find yourself judging someone or angry or upset or resentful because you have it inside of yourself or that you're meant to help that person. And it's, it's probably both because it's the sooner you look inside yourself and you help yourself, the more other people will be affected by the way you communicate will be affected by your behaviors. So what was it like getting divorced in the from community? What are some of the things you have to deal with post-divorce? What's your relationship like with your ex? What's it like for your children? I actually held off on divorce for probably five years too long. I mean, there were issues from the get-go in the Shana Rishayna, and I was already pregnant, and I had a bunch of kids back-to-back. I am not a very outspoken person about the issues that I was experiencing. Part of it, like I said, was maintaining dignity. Even my family didn't know what I was going through. There were some intense things that happened that towards the end of the marriage, even my family was like defending him and they didn't realize what I was going through. They would say to me, but you speak so highly of him. 
one of the things that I always tried to do was try to bring out the best in him. So I would always thank him and try to build him up. In the end, it was to my detriment because I was covering up what was really going on. And was my family supportive? Yeah, they didn't go against me. I definitely had one sibling that wanted to remain friends with him, which hurt me a little bit at the time. And I didn't really get much support. It happens to be right after we got divorced, I was evicted with the kids and homeless for about two months. Where did he stay? In different places. I was bouncing around from one place to the other. That was not easy. He used to blame me a lot for a lot of things, that everything was my fault. I was a bit of a scapegoat. Still am to him. So I got divorced and I wasn't public about the divorce for about a year. Did you get your get right away? Yeah, I did because he was not aware. I didn't I didn't get lawyers involved and I went to based in of America. I didn't go to the based in my community, primarily because I was just afraid that he would refuse giving me a get, to be very honest. And I'm glad I did that because there's a lot of stuff going on now that I realized like he really would not have given me a get had he known what his responsibilities were going to be. For instance, he hasn't paid child support in like three and a half years. And a lot of the things that I try to do, he goes against. It's difficult communicating with him. It turns into a bit of a verbal abusive situation where I've had to block him many times. I try to keep everything from my kids up until recently. I don't reach out to the community a lot. There are some people who know and they try to help, but I really feel very alone. I really do. I'm living in a community where there are a lot of good people, but I try to maintain dignity. A lot of people know me and I, I don't want to, I don't want to be viewed as a nebach, even though people would be like, you're like the poster woman for divorced women. Like you look like you have it all together. Kids are put together and uh, I could be imploding and falling apart on the inside, but on the outside, I'm looking like it's peach keen. <laughs> Everything's great. <laughs> she like recently even called the cops on me. I had gone to pick up my kids and well, actually, no, I, they were supposed to come to my house. He had had them for Shabbos and Rosh Hashanah. They were supposed to come to my house and I can barely ever reach my kids when they're at his house. I actually got a landline so that my kids could speak to their father whenever they want and he could call whenever he wants. And I can barely speak to them when they're by his house. The kids didn't come home on Friday from school. So I emailed him and I'm like, where are the kids? And he's like, what kids? We don't have an agreement. Cause like I said, we're not legally divorced and he's tried to leverage that over me a number of times over a number of things. And I was like, I'm not having this. I'm just not interested in going back and forth and calling and having this whole conversation with him that I know goes around in circles. So I went over to the apartment and I knocked on the door and I said, kids, you're coming to my house for Shabbos. And I could hear them talking like, what? We didn't know. And I was being in the door and I was like, it's time to come out. You come to my house. So he tells me at the door, like, go away. Like the kids are saying by me. And I'm like, no. And I was, I was speaking directly to the kids. This is the first time, like, I really got the kids involved because I was like, I'm just not having this. Like, this is just ridiculous. So they were supposed to come to me and he knew that. Anyway, two of the kids come out. It was a bit traumatic. Even for me, I was crying. And only two came out and he didn't send the other two out. I was like, I'm not leaving without all the kids. So he comes out. At that point, I told the other kids to go to the car. He comes out, he tries to stand over me. And I'm like, I'm not intimidated by you. You know, like to send the kids out. It's my week with them. He's like, uh, if you don't leave, I'm calling the cops. I'm like, you can call the cops. I'm not doing anything wrong. He's like, you're trespassing. I'm like, this is an apartment building. I'm not trespassing. I'm here to pick up my kids. 
So he called the cops and I'm sitting there while he's on the phone with the cops. I'm like saying to him, I'm like, okay, I'll just say to him. So he calls the cops and uh, it was in front of the kids. And one of, one of my kids comes and sees what happens. I was very shaken up. I actually was sick for the next two days and eventually I got COVID and I was just completely run down. And I also had a family simcha that I was making that he didn't help with. I was just doing everything myself and people don't know. People don't know what I go through on a daily basis, what I deal with. And it can be very isolating. And I wish there was, you know, there are a lot of good support groups. I mean, they're sister to sister, but I barely am in touch with them. There's a program called My Extended Family that's good for the kids, the kids go to. The kids were very affected by that circumstance. And when they came home, they started telling me things that their father was telling them. Now, I never talk bad about him to the kids for their sake. They're not there for me. Like, they're not there to help me. I'm here to help them and to help them be functional, good children. And the fact that I got divorced, not their fault. I tried to stay together for them. But then I realized that I need to get divorced for them, too. And there are some instances where one of my kids ran away from him. Uh, one of my kids told me, you know, I hate him. But you know how kids are. Like, they go back and forth and it's, he's their father. Do you feel safe when they're with him? Yes and no. He has his moments. It's like, it's the way it was when I was married to him. So right now, I'm working on some things to try to lessen the custody situation. Even though, like, we don't have a custody agreement. But I'm not going to do anything that's going to spark outrage yet. I'm working on something that will lessen the custody and make it easier for the kids. One of the things that I had to do was that he kind of backed me into a corner where right after this whole event with the cops, the kids came home and they're like, you know, mommy, we don't know who to trust. Tati's telling us certain things. So I said to them, you don't have to trust me. You don't have to trust Tati. You have to trust in Hashem. And I told them, I said, but I will show you the facts. And they're getting older and I can't hide things from them anymore. I kind of kept everything hidden from them. And I sat down and I said, I'll show you the emails and I'll show you the WhatsApp messages and you can decide for yourself. And I did. And unfortunately, the bubble and the safety net that I built around my kids completely burst. I did tell them, I said, no matter what, you have to respect your father. But it was traumatizing for me. It was very, very painful and difficult for me. But I can't, I can't allow them to have incorrect information, like that they need to be able to see what was said, what happened, what are the facts, and they can deliberate for themselves, like what the MS is. I don't have that much support. I have friends that are, you know, there, but nobody can really be supportive like a family can. And I don't have anybody here. So I'm on my own. Are you open to ever getting remarried? So I've been working on that. Yeah, I do want to get remarried. I feel like I'm finally really ready. I want to square away some things with my ex, but I just recently sent my profile out to a number of Shadchanim. There's some things that like the guy that I'm looking for is like a niche within a niche. <laughs> Not easy to find, but I trust in Hashem, you know, but I'd rather be alone for the rest of my life than settle. One of the things that my kids really want me to get remarried, they really do. Anytime I tell them I'm going on a date, like, yeah, really? Okay. Amazing. 
they're like really excited. They, that's all they pray for is for me to, to get remarried. And I, I asked one of my kids, I'm like, why do you want me to get married? They're like, well, because it'll be easier for you. And then it'll be easier for us. <laughs> we pick up on everything. They do. I know I'm very close with them. I'm very close. And they tell me all the time, you know, mommy, we really love it here. We feel very safe. You're very calm. You do everything for us. Like they know, they know how much I do for them, but I think it's taking a toll on my mental health. I think it's taking a toll on my mental capacity. There's a lot involved when you're dealing with children, their social, their friends, school, school work, the Rebbies, after school programs, PTA. And then there's myself and then there's dating and then there's keeping my house clean. And then there's making sure the kids have stuff and then dinner and then just a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot even for married people. So your civil divorce, it's not final yet. What's holding it from happening? He would like to say it's me. Uh, He actually has said that in the beginning, we went through a mediator and then he stopped paying child support. So I told the mediator and they're like, well, if he's not paying child support, there's nothing I could do if he's not going to listen to the mediation. So go to court. So I got a lawyer and I never really wanted to go to court. I got a lawyer just to make it more official. And my lawyer was pro bono, his lawyer, everyone's lazy. No one's getting back to each other. I missed one court date because I had to work. So I had to cancel ahead of time. I said, I can't come. So he holds that against me as if I'm the one who held back the divorce because I, for whatever reason, missed this. And then he tried to get a mediator involved. And then that mediator was biased because he was working for that mediator. (laughs) And then there were so many details within that, that he was just trying to like extort the situation and like the money situation. There's a lot of details that I don't want to get into. And then the lawyers and then COVID hit. So there was so much involved with that. Like the courts shut down and then like nothing was moving, nothing was happening. And he was getting upset at me. And like, like, what do you want? First of all, I'm dealing so much. Like I do a lot for the kids, a lot that he doesn't even know about. I don't sit there and like write all the list of things and what goes on in a day and what's necessary for kids. And then we tried to get a mediator involved just recently. And even the mediator was like, listen, what do you want me to tell you? He doesn't listen. <laughs> he uh, changes his mind every day. And then whatever, there's a lot more details in there that I don't want to get into. And a lot of times, like, I'll take responsibility for the fact that I just shut down. You know, he'll talk to me a certain way and I'll just be like, well, this is not acceptable. So I'm no longer continuing this conversation. So I'll shut down and then I don't want to deal with it. Well, Who would want to deal with it? It's a lot. I'm doing all of this on my own. So right now I actually, I got based and involved because there's so many things going on and I didn't realize that I could get based and involved. I was told and under the impression that once you get divorced, you can't bring him to based in once you get a get. So I don't know what will be. I'm just trying to do everything with Dark Shalom. Like I don't want to hurt him. I just would appreciate if he would step up to the plate. One of the things that I told him, I'm like, look, the money is going to come either way, whatever Hashem wants. Like if Hashem wants the money to come to me, it's going to come. I said, but you get the ability to be the shliach. It's your kids. I try to maintain a positive attitude. I really try to like, but every day is a struggle. I'll be honest. Like I wake up in the morning and I'm like, it's like Groundhog's Day. <laughs> Do you want the divorce to go through? Of course. I actually, with the mediator, I compromised, compromised, compromised. I was ready to sign. He did not want to. He brought up a number of other things and the mediator's like, Okay, we went through this already. Like, we already discussed this. We can't keep going back and reneging on other things. His actions were not following up with his words. 
If there's anything you would like people to know, what kind of support would be helpful? What is helpful to a single mother? What's not helpful? What's not helpful is airing your dirty laundry. That's not helpful. What's not helpful is getting even. Not helpful. What's not helpful is putting the issues that you have with your ex over the kids. It's not helpful. Try to maintain dignity. I think that maintaining dignity, maintaining composure before you respond, speak to somebody first, vent to somebody else, and then respond in a logical, appropriate, dignified manner. They say, if you wrestle with a pig, you're going to get dirty. If you fight with a pig, if you go into the mud, you're going to get dirty. It really depends what you really want. If you want to be that dirty person or you want to rise above, be a good person, be a mensch, be the better person. Try to reach out to other divorced women that have experienced it and have risen above it and have come out of it and can give you proper guidance and support. Ideally, with the question I had intended for you to talk about the world around you, not necessarily your ex-husband. If you could get more support, would you be more open about your story and about the support you need to focus so much energy? I'm open about my story, but to people who can help. Like even just last night, I was talking to a friend and I'm like, it really doesn't help for me to vent because it's just the same thing over and over again. Like I feel personally, I just get stuck. And I'm just like, it doesn't help for me to vent. It doesn't help for me to talk about it unless somebody can actually do something. I think that there is help out there. You just have to do your research. You have to make sure that people have your best intention at heart because there's a lot out there. There are people out there. And unfortunately, like I'm the first person that wants to like focus on the positive, but there's a lot of people out there that will take advantage of you. Like how? Don't necessarily turn to the opposite sex for support. Try to find females, if I'm speaking to women, try to find females that you can hear it in their voice. You can hear it in the way that they talk to you, that will be supportive and that will be there for you, if you and, and give you advice only when you ask for it and won't put you down. In terms of community, I don't think that there's much of a stigma in my community for divorce, but I think that maintaining your dignity for me, that's like a price above all. Like it is the most expensive thing out there. If you're going through something, speak to one or two people. Don't air it on Facebook. Don't air it on social media. Don't air it on Instagram. Putting your ex down is going to put you down. Your children are going to grow up one day and they're going to read everything that you wrote. I know that you're talking about community, but this is a very important aspect there is a fine balance between getting support and being looked down upon. Me personally, I just struggle with relying on other people for support primarily because I just, it's my own narrative. It's my own triggers. I've been made to feel bad for asking for help since I was a child. I was a burden. I was a bother. So me personally, I'd rather be the one giving the help than receiving it unless I know it's from a really good place. So Pick your friends wisely, pick your support group very wisely, and don't air your dirty laundry to the community because then you'll fall prey to you'll open yourself up to people who don't have your best interest at heart. Unfortunately, you know, we, you just have to really, you really have to guard your soul and you have to guard your heart. You really do. Wow. Thank you so much, Leora, for really opening up 
this part of yourself to us. Well, I wish I could say more. I think it would be more, it would be beneficial if I would, if I'd be able to say more, I'm just trying to protect my kids, protect people in my story. Yeah. There's a lot of forgiveness involved. Forgive yourself. If I'm speaking to the women out there, forgive yourself, forgive yourself for your choice, forgive the past, the only way to heal and the only way to move on for it to be good for you and for your children is to really forgive yourself and don't make the arguments that you have with your ex about getting back at him or her, whoever's listening. It's not about that at all. Yes, justice, but God runs the world. God is the one who delivers justice. Just be a good person. Just yes, people have to take responsibility, but don't get even, uh, don't get angry. Resentment is like swallowing a pill and expecting someone else to feel the pain. That's basically what resentment does. You're hurting yourself in the process. So that's my advice. My advice is to maintain dignity, respect for yourself, respect for your children, even respect for your ex, who is the parent of your children. So I'm not necessarily speaking to people who are like went through heavy abuse or anything like that. And in those circumstances, a professional would be better at giving advice. But that's that's what I have to share and offer. Thank you. This was so valuable. Thank you for having me here. I hope helps someone gets help from this. Who knows? If anyone wants to reach out to Leora, feel free to reach out to me and I can put you in touch. Okay. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Friends dance. Thank you for sticking around until the end. I'm setting up a way for you to be able to send in voice messages for me to be able to get your feedback and stories for the Aliyah episode. So stay tuned for more details. Thanks for always keeping me in the back of your mind when you hear of people or nonprofits who are looking for help to launch their podcasts. This is how you can support the show. For next week's choice, I'll let you vote and take a poll from you. Would you like to hear from an Instagram influencer and behind the scenes of her life? Or would you like to go deep again with a comprehensive infertility and secondary infertility, a personal story? with practical tips for raising awareness and sensitivity around this issue. Hit me up by joining the WhatsApp discussion group by clicking the link to join in the show notes. See you next week. Keep reaching out. Bye now.